Uh, this isn't part of the message this morning, but I have so enjoyed studying here recently uh, in the area of prophecy and looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things we've been able to see from Scripture is that uh, the Lord is going to come back, and we use the word rapture. It just means He's going to come back in the clouds. And the Bible says He's going to come with a shout and with the trump of God. And He's going to raise those that are dead in Christ and bring their bodies up out of the ground. And uh, then those of us that are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, I don't know how that's all going to happen, but I know it's going to happen quickly. The Bible talks about it. And the idea that uh, we're going to be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet Him in the air. And the Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Once that happens, we'll never have to say goodbye to Him again. And I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. It could happen at any moment. We found in Scripture that we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly in a pre-tribulational rapture, meaning that before the great tribulation that comes in the book of Revelation, that Christ is going to come and call us out of here before that time. And so with that in mind, the Bible tells us over and over and over again that we're to be watchful, we're to be, be looking for those things, to be sober-minded, to be serving the Lord and living the way that we ought to, <coughs> because we don't know when He's going to come. It could be before we finish this message this morning. A number of years ago, I was preaching, and my brother, uh, my younger brother who plays the trumpet, uh, I was going to have him hide in the baptistry one day during the middle of a service. I was going to have him blow the trumpet and see how many people were excited and how many people were in a panic. And I thought, no, that might give some people some heart attacks in the service. I better not do that. But, uh, you know, it could, be ha- it could happen, couldn't it? Uh, we could be in the middle of saying what we're saying here and reading Scripture and preaching, and the trumpet could sound and we could be out of here. The Bible says those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior are going to be caught up into the air to meet Him. Those that have not, those that have not put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, sadly will be left here. And then there will come a time of seven years of great tribulation, such that men, the Bible says, will seek death, and they won't be able to find it. And uh, my heart goes out, and we study uh, the end-time events, and it brings great comfort to us to know that we're not going to be here. It really does. But it also brings great consternation to us, causes us to be very much in sorrow for so many people that do not know Him as their Savior that are going to be left here to go through those things. Some of them are friends. Some of them are neighbors. Some of them are family members. And all that we would be praying that God give us opportunity uh, to reach these folks with the gospel, that they would see that need and get that matter settled before it's too late. Uh, all that we would be able to see that. Let's take our Bibles and uh, did I tell you First Kings, First Kings chapter number eighteen, <coughs> and uh, we're going to begin reading. We're going to read the the vast majority of the chapter, and uh, then we'll share just a couple of thoughts. We don't have a real extensive outline today, but a couple of key thoughts that I think are very crucial, especially in the day and age that we are living in today. And uh, I think it's amazing to me the Bible was written. Uh, you know, as early as 1400 B.C., some of the, the writings that we have from Moses and some of those folks, Job, and some of those maybe even a little bit before that, and how, how long this book has been in existence, and yet how it's so applicable to today. So many things that apply to our life today, and the, uh, the, the modern day that we live in, how many times it teaches us 
not just how we were supposed to live back then, but how we're supposed to live now and the things that we're supposed to seek for now. And uh, we find some of these principles here in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you'll bear with us, let's read through the chapter. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Now let me give you a little bit of background real quick here. Uh, Ahab was a wicked, wicked king, ungodly king. He had married uh, a foreign queen by the name of Jezebel to try to establish some peace between their country and Israel. Jezebel, if there's anyone more wicked than Ahab, we would have to say that Jezebel was even more so. And Jezebel was a, an, uh, an ardent follower of uh, Baal, who was one of the premier idols and gods of that time, uh, idolatrous gods, little g, had no power but was an idol, was very popular during that time. And Jezebel uh, very strongly worshipped Baal and had led her husband and even the whole of the nation of Israel to follow after these uh, these priests and prophets of Baal. In verse number 4 it says, For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Jezebel so hated the prophets of the Lord that she uh, went about to kill them. She wanted to wipe them all out. And so Obadiah takes and he, he hides a hundred of these fellows and he supplies food to them and makes sure that they're nurtured. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him. And fell on his face and said, Art thou that, my Lord Elijah? And I want to just stop in verse 7. It's not our message, but I want to bring out two very important points in verse 7 that I think are very helpful. One of the things is God was able to use Obadiah because he was found in the way. He was busy serving. He was doing what he should be. And oftentimes I've heard people say, Well, I wish I knew what God's will for my life is. Then get busy serving. Do something. Bloom where you're planted. And let God show you some additional things. If a man's sitting back in, in, uh, on, in his spiritual recliner, so to speak, and not doing anything, and then complains that God has not shown him what he has for his life, I don't think we have a leg to stand on there. I think we need to be busy doing the work. And as we're doing the work, God will guide and God will direct. But I also I think it's very important to note this, that in verse number 7, Obadiah comes across Elijah. I have no uh, indication from Scripture that these two had ever met before this. But the Bible says that he knew him. There's something that is unsaid in that verse that I think is very clearly shown. And that is there was something very distinct about Elijah. There was something different about him that caused Obadiah to think, this is a prophet of God. We're going to see why, I believe, in just a little while here. But I want to encourage us in this. We're living in a day where people that name the name of Christ blend in and are camouflaged into the world, when there really needs to be some Christians that stand out, some Christians that are, are out there saying there's something different here, there's something about them 
And I'm, I'm all for reaching as much as we can and caring for those that are lost and reaching out and trying to bring the gospel to them. But may God help us to have something peculiar about us that causes people to be able to say they have a great God. There's something about them. And Obadiah comes across Elijah in verse 7. The Bible says, And he knew him, fell on his face, and said, Art thou that, that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned? That thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me. And the Lord, thy, as the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found, and that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he will slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord for my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him that, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Well, what a question. Ahab had great observation, had terrible conclusions. He saw there was trouble in Israel, there was no doubt, but he blamed it on the, the prophet of God. The prophet of God was not obviously the one to blame here, but it was the sin of the people of Israel that was to blame. By the way, before we begin to blame others for where we find ourselves, maybe sometimes we need to look at ourselves first. Say, Lord, is there anything wicked in me that I need to deal with? Are there some things you're taking care of in my life? And he answered at verse number 18, I have not troubled Israel, but thou. Boy, this is a bold prophet, isn't he? I mean, this king has authority over his life. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou in thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandment of the Lord. And thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel, all watching, uh, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under And ye call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. 
And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For ye are many, and call on the name of our gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal, from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is taking, either he's talking or he's pursuing or he is in a journey. Or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Then Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. The water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel and that I am Thy servant and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message and more just some simple thoughts today, but yet so crucial in the day that we live. I pray that You would guide and direct us. Lord, may there be a revival, a stirring in our hearts, a longing for You to do a great work in our midst again, that You would show Yourself strong and mighty in the day that we live. And so, Father, I pray that You would be glorified in this, that Your Holy Spirit will guide and direct in our hearts. May we learn from Your Word some things that will be crucial to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here a, an interesting situation in that there were 450 prophets of Baal, the Bible says, and then there were another 400 or so that uh, were serving uh, the, the God of Baal, and they sat at Jezebel's table. So 
possibly as many as 850 at least at this point. And Elijah comes to them and he asks the people, as he gets to uh, verse number 21, he says, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people, notice this, answering not a word. Here, here are God's chosen people. Here, here is the God that, or here, here's the group of people that are, are ruled by God Himself. He, these are the ones that uh, <coughs> have seen the mighty hand of God at work time and time and time again. They've, they've, they've come out of Egypt. They've seen the wanderings in the wilderness. They've come into the promised land. They've watched God miraculously work in their midst over and over and over again. And yet there is a point where they have so forsaken God that they, they have, uh, when they're put to the, the question, the task of saying, which one are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God of Israel or are you going to serve Baal? The Bible says here that they answered Him not a word. They were speechless. They didn't have an answer for Him. And I've, I've, I was often, as, as I've read this passage, I've often thought this thought, how in the world can a people that uh, names the name of God and says we are God's chosen people, how can a people who have seen God so mightily at work in their midst be able to forsake that God and get to a place where when they are asked which one is the true God, they can't even answer? How did they get to this place? We certainly know that there was some leadership at fault here. We know that Ahab and Jezebel uh, were certainly uh, influential in steering and guiding the direction of the nation of Israel. By the way, I'm not here to preach a political message this morning, but if that doesn't tell us something about our voting uh, practices, I don't know what does in Scripture. We've got to be so careful, because as goes the leadership, often goes in the nation. We've got to be so careful of these things. But can I encourage us in this thing as we come to God's Word? We find that there's a group of people here that have seen the mighty hand of God. They've heard of the mighty hand of God. They know of the mighty hand of God. They're, the historical record of the nation of Israel is nothing but God's miraculous work time and time and time again. And yet when they're put to the question, how long halt you between two opinions, they're speechless. He said, boy, I tell you, Brother Greg, that that is a terrible place for those people to be in. The truth of the matter is we're living in a day where we have the the vast majority of people in our country that was based on Christian principles and biblical foundations that had men of God stand in pulpits and, and preach with the fire of God in their messages and with the power of the Holy Spirit upon their ministries that, that, that came to this wilderness and, and made one of the greatest nations that ever lived. And in less than 200 years we find ourselves, after seeing the mighty hand of God raise up a nation like the United States of America, we find ourselves in a situation and in a society that the vast majority, the vast majority of them, at best, deny that God is even working in our midst. If they're asked, how long holds you between two opinions, they wouldn't have an answer. And I say, how in the world did they get here? They began to get their eyes off of God and they began to put them on other things. In Israel's case, their leadership brought some gods into their influence, into their understanding, and they began to promote these gods and the one specifically here that is spoken of is Baal. They began to build temples, and the leadership begins to have prophets. 
the worship of Baal, if you'll study some of the practices of the worship of Baal, was bringing in such uh, immorality and worldliness into the worship of this un- untrue God, this idol that these men and women brought. Can I tell you that we live in a day where a lot of things consume the hearts and the minds of our people in the United States of America? They've been shown so many things that appeal to them and the God that uh, that our country was based on and the preachers and the fiery pulpits and the ministries of God's people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit have gone by the wayside. And we find ourselves in a situation very similar to what the nation of Israel finds themselves in. Elijah comes to the leaders and he tells Ahab, he says, I want you to call all of Israel together. There's a boldness about Elijah here that I think is lacking in the day that you and I live. There are very few preachers that are willing to get up and even say, Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says. They, they begin to water down the message of God and then oftentimes don't even bring God's Word into the message because they're afraid of what the public is going to think. They're afraid of what people are going to think. They want the acceptance. They want the popularity. They want the, the bestseller book. They want the crowds to fill their buildings. And that is not what is needed. What is needed is for the fire of God and the power of God to rest upon the men of God and the women of God in this world and to make a difference. It's not about a popularity contest. It's not about trying to get uh, the best uh, book that is written on the New York Times bestseller list. It's not about having the nicest car or the nicest house or the biggest buildings in your ministry. It's not about having the biggest crowds and being invited to the, 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 best, the best known conferences to speak. It's about whether or not we have the fire of God, the power of God resting upon us. I think something else is rather interesting about this story, and that is this, that the vast majority of even what the nation of Israel at this time would have referred to as their religious leaders were worshiping Baal. But there was a remnant, wasn't there? In this case, and in this story, Elijah alone stood. We know that at least Obadiah was there. We know that at least another hundred prophets were there. There was always a remnant. And by the way, God always has a remnant. That remnant is oftentimes what is the salvaging force of a nation that is turned from God. These folks come together and they see Elijah and they're watching They're watching Elijah. They want to see what's going to happen here. And the answer that they're going to give to Elijah is going to depend upon what they see. It shouldn't be that way, but the truth of the matter is we live in a day where people don't see God working in a mighty way. We don't see God oftentimes bringing great revival and a stirring among His people in our churches and our pulpits. And the world is halting between two opinions and they're seeing people that name the name of Christ who are walking around without the power of God and without the fire of God upon them. So we get down to verse number 23. Elijah proposes a contest, if you will, a competition here, a a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And he says, I want you to each give us a bullock. They can choose one for themselves and I'll take the other one. He says, I want them to sacrifice theirs and call on their God. And I'll sacrifice mine and call on my God. And the God that answers with fire, let him be God. 
You know what the amazing thing to me is, is the prophets of Baal thought that was a good idea. They were so assured that Baal was a God that could help them that they were willing to get up here and take the challenge. I'm probably, probably, I, I'm not, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but probably they're looking around saying, hey, there's 450 of us, there's only one of him. Look at him, he's standing over there all by himself. By the way, I think it's a good thing sometimes if you can't stand for the right with others, you must at least stand for the right alone. And we must not compromise just because that's not the direction everybody else is going. I'll be real frank with you. I am an independent, fundamental, King James Version, Bible-believing, Baptist preacher. I have no bones about that. I don't mind that title. But if every single independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Version, Baptist preacher was wrong according to Scripture, I would rather be right than in agreement. Oh, that we would have men and women of God that would say, I want the Bible before I want to be in agreement. Oh, that we would learn to hold to God's Word as the key to our life. Here Elijah stands alone. He says, I don't care if there's 450. I don't care if there's 850 of you. I know my God is the true God. He puts the challenge to him. It's interesting to me about this. They both have the same materials, don't they? They both have the same, they both have an animal, they both have some wood, they both have some stones. They both build altars. There's a lot of similarities, isn't there? We're living in a day where there's an awful lot of religious similarities, but no power. I was listening to a fellow a number of years ago. I was a young man. He made a statement along these lines. He said, There used to be a day where people, pastors and churches, God's people had the mighty power of God upon them. But they did had very little popularity, had no popularity basically, and they had no influence in the things of this world. He said now they've gained the popularity and the influence and they have no power. And that's a sad fact of the matter. Here these folks are given the exact same materials. The whole nation is beginning to watch. They're seeing... I wonder which one is going to answer by fire. These prophets of Baal begin to do something that I think is interesting. I look around at some of the chaotic, and, and we look at some of these, uh, these protests and things that have gone on the last several years, and, and I look at what these prophets of Baal are doing, these folks that I believe were under uh, satanic influence and under these occultish influences of Baal, and they begin to call upon their God. And the Bible says, if you'll look with me in verse number 26, the Bible says that they begin by saying, O Baal, hear us, for there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking or is pursuing, or he is on a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. They cried aloud, and they cut themselves after the manner of their knives. If you can get the picture of these folks, they're getting in a frenzy. They're getting in a panic. There's chaos involved in this, and there's not a, there's not a spirit of respect. There's not a spirit of, uh, of godliness. There's not a spirit of holiness. There's not a spirit of soberness. But these men are gyrating, and they're jumping, and they're leaping, and they're cutting themselves, and they're yelling and shouting, and you see a chaotic type of a form as they are desperate in need. And I look at things like that, and I say that is the typical work of Satan in lives. He is the author of confusion. 
I'm thankful my Bible says my God is not the author of confusion. It's very much in stark contrast to what Elijah does. They go about this all day long. By the way, <coughs> they could have carried this contest on for weeks. They could have carried this contest on for months. They could have carried this contest on for years. And Baal would not have ever shown up because he was no God. In verse number 29, the Bible says, And it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any answer. Notice this, nor any that regarded There's an awful lot of men standing in pulpits today, a lot of religious buildings that have a name of a church on them. And there's a lot of leaping, <laughs> gyrating. There's a lot of things going on under the guise in the name of religion. And when they leave that place, it could be said that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And they leave empty. This is the condition we find our country in today. The Bible says in verse number 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And I want you to notice a couple things here, and we're going to be done. And he noticed this phrase. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Can I tell you today, folks, we're living in a day where the altar of God has been broken down. Oh, there are a few churches. There are a few works. There are a few ministries. But I'll be honest with you. I have wept and shed tears. I have pleaded and prayed with God this month over news of Churches that I hold in respect and in high regard, men of God that I have looked up to, that are beginning to compromise and beginning to let these things slip. And I think the altars are being broken down. We're seeing churches, we're seeing God's people compromising in so many ways and allowing these things to gain a foothold. When the truth is, what our people need to see, what our, our nation needs to see, what our leaders need to see, is the power of an Almighty God resting upon men and women that trust Him as their Savior. Men and women that walk through this life and make a difference for the things of the Lord. That stand true, that stand strong, that lift the banner of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without fear and without shame and with great boldness. For churches that will once again get back to the true spirit of worship. That will begin to separate themselves from the world, not based on how far the world is from them, but based upon the moral standard of a God who is holy and righteous. We're seeing these things slip. And no voices are being raised. You know, no one's waving a flag of caution. No one's running out here and saying, be careful, be, beware of these things. I grew up down in South Florida. 
Our house was about three miles from the ocean, and I remember as a young child going out to the beach and the ocean, and there were lifeguards out there in stations, and there were some days we would go out and they would have a flag up on the stand. It was a green flag, and when those green flags were up, then it was safe to go into the water, and we could go out there without fear of riptides and currents and things that would cause us to drown, and there weren't sharks and other things in there, jellyfish and things that would hurt us or harm us. There were other times we would go out there and they would have a yellow flag and they would be cautioning you that, hey, only the strongest of swimmers and the best of swimmers ought to swim in these conditions. There were a few times we'd go out there, there'd be a red flag. And the flag was there to tell everybody that saw it, listen, there's danger here, don't go there. You, you go out here, you're going at your own risk. And if you get in trouble, there's not going to be a lifeguard come out to save you. They began to wave these flags, and they, they didn't stick them down in the sand low to the ground, but they put them up on the top of these towers. And they made sure they were large, and you could see them literally for a mile down the beach, you could see the flags. And I think there's some people that I, are sincere people and people of God that are trying to give a few warnings here and there, but the truth is they're bashful and they're timid and they're shy and they're hiding their warnings and they're making them very, very small. And what we need is some, God's, some of God's people that to take the banner of this book and be able to wave it high and wave it strong and wave it loud and be vocal about these things. That we're beginning to see things slip in the house of God. We're beginning to see things slip in the people of God. It's not going to be long before they're going to be powerless and without God's power upon their lives and their ministries. Elijah comes, and the Bible says this in verse number 30, that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I believe one great question you and I ought to ask ourselves often is, how's my altar? This altar that is in my heart that I have for the Lord, I wonder how it is. Is it broken down? Have I allowed worldliness and the influence of this world to come in and take God off of that throne of my heart? There are times that I believe we need to come back and say, God, I need to repair that. I need to make sure that it's right. In verse 31, the Bible says that He took these stones and He built an altar. Notice this, in the name of the Lord. This wasn't an altar to Baal. It was an altar that was only for God. I think there's a lot of altars that we have in our lives. The sad thing is, I don't think all of them are for the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, and he begins to pray. And I love this as we get down to verse number 36. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Oh, that that would be the prayer of our hearts for our country. That we could do things in such a way and have the power of God resting upon us in such a way that men would be able to look and say, Their God is my God. He's the God of heaven. He is the one that has turned my heart back again. I like what it says in verse number 38. The Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. 
And I tell you, God doesn't leave room for any doubt, does He? He doesn't just take the sacrifice. But notice what it says here when this fire fell from the Lord in verse 38. It says that it consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to light dust on fire or not. It doesn't light very well. In fact, some people use dirt to put fires out, don't they? It took the dust, and notice this, it also says licked up the water that was in the trench. You ever seen water light on fire? God made sure there was no doubt. Not only did He answer, but He answered in a way that when the people saw it, they had no doubt that God did this. Oh, that we would we would have a, 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 an unction, a power of God that rested upon us in such a way that people would look at it and say, there is no doubt. There is no doubt. They serve the living God. They serve the God that is the God of creation. We, they serve the God that is the God that sent His Son to die on a cross. They serve a God that is able to redeem men from their sins. Oh, that we would have that kind of power, that strength. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and noticed this. They said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's quite a difference from a few verses ago. When Elijah posed the question to him, how long halt you between two opinions? And they answered him not. But when God showed Himself in mighty power through the willingness of Elijah to stand against the crowd, to repair the altar of the Lord, and to pray for God to do something great, God showed Himself strong. The people began to say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There's a lot of people in our country today that are looking, saying, Well, there's a lot of churches out there. How do you know yours is right? May there be the power of God on the ministry like this. May there be the power of God on the lives of our people. Once He got the hearts of his people turn back to him. <clears throat> Elijah does something in verse number 40 that I think is where we end up in trouble oftentimes. There are times that God's got a hold of my heart and brought conviction and I've tried to get things right with him. But if I don't get rid of the things that put me in that backslidden state to begin with, I'm destined to go right back to it. So in verse number 40, Elijah, knew, knowing this, says, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them to the brook Kishon and slew them there. There are times that we have to look into our lives, see the things that got us to the place of backsliding and away from the Lord. And said, Lord, I want to I come back to you. I want to have a revival in my life. I want... I want to say, I want to point men to you. I want to say that the Lord, He is God. I want to have that kind of attitude in my life. But Lord, if I'm going to do that, I've got to get rid of some things. I've got some things in my life that are not pleasing, that are not biblical, that are not right, that are not godly. I've got some things that, to be real honest with you, Lord, are idolatrous. And I need to get them out of my life. Because the truth is, if we don't, we're going to go right back to it. My question to you tonight is, how's the altar? 
Is it broken down? Have we allowed the things of this world, the discouragement of the leadership perhaps, the frustration with seeing so many against the things of God, have we allowed those things to cause us to become weak, to not stand for truth, to not wave the banner of truth high and to give warning? Have we become lazy in these things? Have we caused ourselves to say there's no hope? Or are we willing to come as Elijah did when the king came and said, Are you the one that caused all this trouble on Israel? Elijah said, Not me, buddy. It was you. That was in the Hebrew, by the way. That was you. And to show you that I'm serious about this, let's do this. Let's take two, let's take two, two bullets. Let your prophets call on your God. And I'll call on my God. And the one that answers with fire, let him be God. Oh, that we'd come back to that place. To say, Lord, I need your power. I need your strength. I need your boldness. Lord, help me to be able to get these things out of my life that would cause me to draw away from you. To have my heart on other things beside you. How's our altar? How's our altars? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. I pray that You would bless the time that we've spent here together, that You will use the teaching, the preaching of Your Word to guide and direct us. Lord, there is so much worldliness. There's so much pressure on ministries and preachers to turn their ministries 